0: Um, Can everybody hear me? Okay. Uh, So, we are um, transitioning just a little bit. We have, for the last couple of times that we've met together, been going through just a brief little summary of two cults that uh, both would identify as Christians, but we have identified as non-Christian. And we've kind of talked about both Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. And so now we're kind of transitioning back into what we originally started with, which was the knowledge of God. But at the same time, we're not leaving a study on the occult either. Because essentially what we've been trying to do or what I've been trying to do really since I got here on Wednesday night was essentially go through kind of a systematic approach to what we know to be true about God based on his word. And in in doing that, we're also separating Christianity from the occult. Because what we're doing is really determining what is it that we believe as Christians. What do we believe to be true about the God that we worship? And as we define what we believe as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word, we're also keeping an eye on the cultic practices and the other religions that are over here on the sidelines... And we're saying we don't believe that because of this reason, so we've never really left the occult we're continuing to kind of keep an eye on that as we begin to kind of again uh, re- resume and work through um, the, the the Bible and and kind of narrow down what is it that we believe um, now I, 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 I want to take a, a second just as we start to talk about you you, you should have all received a packet whenever you got in there, they're on the podiums there. If you didn't get one, I would, uh, I would say go ahead and grab one. Uh, I got real fancy tonight. There's blanks. All right. I can't just give you all the answers. If I'm going to give you notes, I got to give you something to make sure you don't fall asleep. Uh, so I got, so you've got, you've got blanks. Richard has some there. If you need one, just raise your hand and he can, he can pass one to you. Um, Essentially, the topic that we 're going to be looking at for at least the next two weeks it depend on how tonight goes is uh, creation. What is it that we as Christians believe to be true about creation itself and we 've been studying about God the Father and what we believe to be true about God the Father. Well, the next logical step would be then the created order that God the Father spoke into existence and so We're going to step into understanding creation a little bit. Now, I do this also understanding that we can quickly get into a lot of debate as to different ideas and thoughts and opinions on various topics along the way. Most of that will be reserved for next week as we talk about the different things Christians believe uh, about the created order. Most of what we're going to be talking about tonight are the things that Christians as a whole should be all united on, that we should all be in agreement on. Now, for me, creation is something that always astounds me. And I think throughout my life, as I just kind of do a survey of uh, a faith journey, so to speak, The times where I've seen myself in deepest darkness and in most doubt, Um, I go back to the Psalms and I see time and time again, David and various authors in the Psalms pointing to creation. seems like they're always pointing to creation. Look at the sea, look at the mountains, look at the stars, look at all the things around you. And for me creation has been one of those things. When I've doubted from time to time and thought, is, does God even really hear me? Is there really a God out there? I look around at creation and I think to myself, there's absolutely no way this is an accident. There's just no way this is an accident. Um, they say one of the hardest uh, people groups to persuade into atheism or the theory of evolution as is prevalent right now um, is children. Um, my kids got a, a set from their grandparents, uh, Smith's, it was like Smithsonian books. And it's these little tiny um, uh, books that are multi-volumes and they come in this little set. And each one of them is like, you know, animals or insects or whatever. And so you pull them out and they have all this just information on lions and, you know, all kinds of things. And my boys are fascinated with anything that can kill them. And so they're just, they love to like just read these things. And Grayson's like learning all the names of all these little different, you know, geckos and things like that. And uh, he just loves it. One of the books is that model that you typically see of evolutionary theory, which is, you know, like the primate or whatever and then kind of just kind of works up from there until you get the man that's sort of walking and Andrea and Grayson are looking at this book and Grayson looks over at Andrea and goes what's that and Andrea goes you know she's like I kind of panicked because I didn't know how to answer this and I said she said uh, well we believe that God created everything but there's some people that don't believe that there's some people that believe that that really matter kind of came together and that everything sort of grew out of, you know, essentially evolved from a single cell organism into what we have now around us today. And he went. He just kind of looked at her and he goes, let's just scratch that out. <laughs> 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 and what, what we've seen is that... Um, Kids, I think, have this kind of natural tendency to also look around at creation and go, there's no way this happened just by chance. And so when we look at creation, I don't want us to get lost in this kind of academic process of thinking about how God created all the nuts and bolts and all this kind of stuff, as much as I want us to zoom out and think, how amazing is this world that He created? I heard somewhere that in One cubic centimeter of air at sea level. You know how many atoms are in that cubic centimeter of air at sea level? I'm gonna, I wrote it down just to be sure I got it right. 10 million trillion atoms in a cubic centimeter of air. Now, I'm trusting somebody else's word because I've never seen that. (laughs) So, but, um, I've also heard in the human body, um, we are made up of of cells, right? Um, The estimate now is 37.2 trillion cells in the human body. And uh, if you were to take a pen, again, I'm trusting their word for it, so I could be wrong on this, but if you take a ballpoint pen and touch your arm with it, the spot of ink on your arm has 10,000 cells underneath it. I mean, I mean, that, that equals, essentially. Um, and each one is its own little factory uh, that knows what to do and knows how to be. And So when you look at things both, when you zoom in with a microscope, that's phenomenal. And yet when you zoom out and you look at creation as a whole, we've never reached the end of the galaxy and we don't know where that is and we can only theorize on a lot of this stuff that's out there. I mean, whether you look on a microscope or a macroscope, it's creation is just phenomenal. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we go through it. Now, also what I want us to keep in mind is that there are, when we look at theology, just biblical theology as a whole, there are things that I like to refer to as closed-handed theology. Closed-handed theology, meaning these are things that I'm so absolutely certain on That no one can convince me otherwise. I am absolutely certain that not only does the Bible speak to this, but that what it says is true. So I'll give you an example of that, very, very easy one. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead and has ascended into heaven. That is closed handed theology you are not a Christian if you don't believe that, okay? No one should be able to pry that from your cold, dead, lifeless fingers, all right? Cold, dead, soon-to-be-resurrected, lifeless fingers. (laughs) Um, Nobody should be able to pry that from you. Um, There's many many others that are like that. There's also a group of uh, many other things that I would call open-handed theology, things that I might be relatively certain on, as I read the text, I think this is the meaning of that text. I think this is a right understanding of that text. But I could be wrong about my interpretation there. Um, We'll uncover a lot of those things next week, and we won't spend as much time on those this week. We'll spend a lot more time on the closed-handed understanding of creation this week. Uh, and then we'll explore some other things that we should probably keep within an open hand. Things we could be relatively certain about, for sure, but, and things that we have good reason to believe, but things that we also can't be totally certain on. The reason that we can understand what should be open and what should be closed is as we turn back to the past and we look across Christian history. And what we can see as we survey Christian history is the unity of the church or the diversity of the church. And so you see traditional Christian witness throughout history where they're unified around the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We know that the scripture that I'm reading, where they got that from, that is the exact interpretation. Look at 2,000 years of church history. I have enough in my back pocket to say yes, absolutely. Not only has 2,000 years of church history proven that that's what this text means, but it's obvious when when you read it. And then as you look across church history, what you'll also see, an easy example of this would be the end times. When we do a survey of uh, revelation, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, things like this, um, there are a, 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 a plethora of beliefs about how things are going to pan out in the end. And so when we look at the end times, we know that some of these things are going to be open-handed. There's some closed-handed things about the end time. Jesus is returning. Jesus is going to create new heavens and new earth. People that didn't were not in Christ will be cast into outer darkness, into everlasting torment. Those things are sure. Those are closed-handed. But there's a lot of things when it comes to the end times that should be open. So we're going to see those in creation as well as we go through this. And so I have the quote up there at the very top: uh, In essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; in all things, charity. And the, the idea as we approach uh, biblical theology is to really discern what should be the essentials and what are the things that are allowed to ha- we're allowed to have liberty in. We're allowed to have some varying uh, beliefs in. So uh, as we go through this, I'd want to just identify some of those, some of those key tenets that, that we have always believed about creation. First thing on the list here, the clear meaning of the text of Scripture is that God created the world out of nothing. Now, I have included in the packet, because there's a lot of verses, so I've included in the packet a list of all the verses that we're going to cover tonight. Most of them are in the order that we actually are going to be covering them. So uh, if you want to just turn to your packet there, um, somebody take for me, we're just going to do a few of these. Somebody take for me Genesis 1.1. You can read it right off the sheet there, or you can turn to it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you can, you memorize it. Somebody take for me Psalm 33, 6 and 9. Richard, somebody take for me John 1, 3. All right, Blake. Somebody take for me Acts 4, 24 and 17, 24. Again, right there. All right, David. Uh, and somebody take for me Hebrews eleven three. 3. All right. Uh, and so, Vicky, when you got it, quote it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens remain, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded it, and it stood firm. All right. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That, to me, is the most... Convincing one. <laughs> How do you wiggle out of that one? Who had the uh, Who had Hebrews eleven three? I can't remember. All right, go ahead. What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There you go. Uh, Colossians one. Did I do Colossians one sixteen or was that it? I uh, skipped Acts, Acts twenty Acts four, twenty four and seventeen, twenty four. So what's interesting, the, the, the phrase that typically we use when we say God created everything out of nothing, the Latin there, the fancy term is ex nihilo, it was out of nothing that God created something. So in front of him, or if you can even describe it as that, was nothingness, not a speck of anything, and he spoke and behold a rabbit Right there, right? Or whatever, you know, uh, (laughs) light, uh, darkness, uh, the world. Everything that is seen or unseen was created by, as the scripture says, the word of his mouth. All right. Um, And it seems that as this gospel is presented in Acts, we see it a couple of times from the mouth of Paul and and the apostle, I think Peter is one of them in in chapter four. Uh, it, It seems to be a way of distinguishing the God we're talking about from the God pagans are worshiping. Um, In fact, this is actually true as we went into the hills of China and share the gospel. One of the things that was essential in our gospel presentation to the Chinese was that we had to include in the gospel presentation that the God we're talking about created the spiritual realm, demons, angels, everything like that too. Which here in America, if we are presenting the gospel, we may never even talk about demons and angels. We may never even mention it. But to a culture who understood and already believed that the spiritual realm was in fact a reality and that demonic forces were in fact at work, whether they believe in God or not, it was important for us to distinguish the God we're talking about. We're not talking about a God that you're going to find in that temple up that hill. We're not going to find talking about a God that you're going to find a statue of that you can bow down and worship. We're talking about a God that existed before there was anything, that spoke into existence and created everything that is seen or unseen. That includes all the lakes and rivers and streams and people, and that also includes the things that you can't see, space. <laughs> right? Uh, he created spiritual realm, everything. And it seems that this is a New Testament practice as well, that this is how they're distinguishing from those that the the pagans worship. Um, But the reason why this is important for us, I I think there's a a twofold importance. The first, we find it in Psalm uh, chapter 90, verse 2. And you see that on your list there. It's on the first page of your verse list. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The plain implication of God creating everything out of nothing has the simple meaning that therefore He's worthy to be worshipped because He rules over all. He is over everything. If He created everything, then He is in charge of it. If it came out of nothing, then He's certainly powerful enough to maintain it, right? This is the kind of God. So that's, that's one, I think, implication. God rules over the universe. But the second implication of this is that He is therefore worthy of worship. We see that in First Timothy, which is all the way on the last page, First Timothy 6, 17. He says, uh, Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So the challenge that Paul's giving to the the people in uh, that are around Timothy is to charge the people that have everything that really know the goodness of creation be sure to tell them you're not to set your heart on that. That's not why it was given to you. It was given to you so that you might set your heart on God himself, on the one that actually gave it, that he alone is worthy of worship. And so I, I think one of the things that's, that's important here is that we identify why this sets us apart. This understanding of creation sets us apart from the rest of the culture. It's not simply a religion that we're different from. It's also the idea in the culture of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I think if you told the general population hey, the world around us has a lot of pleasures. I think everybody, Christian and non-Christian, would go, yep, it sure does. But the attitude of the non-Christian, the pagan, is effectively eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This is the way we're supposed to enjoy creation. But in fact, it's not. God creating everything out of nothing means he rules over it and he is worthy of worship. It implies then that we're going to have to give an account afterwards to him for what he has created. So our enjoyment of creation must be tempered always. Remembering that he gave it to us and it's a good gift, yet at the same time using it as a means to turn our hearts toward him in worship. Does that make sense? Questions on that? God created everything out of nothing. Created the world out of nothing. Uh, the second thing is, I think, pretty obvious from the text and is very, very diff- would be very difficult to, to avoid at all, um, is that God created Adam from the dirt and created woman from man. God created Adam from dirt and created woman from man. Uh, we've got there two really two texts genesis 2 7 and 21 to 23 who will take that for me again this is the esv vicki you can got it uh first corinthians 11 8 and 9 who will take that for me all right dave maxwell vicki when you're ready 21 to 23 as well. Yeah, actually, it, the Hebrew translation is. Oh. <laughs> if you, that's how it translates directly from the Hebrew. Yeah, is uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was good. It was a good. I, I'll I'll accept it. Uh, <laughs> David Maxwell, First Corinthians eleven, eight, and nine. For man is not a woman, woman man, nor was man created for the woman, woman for the man. All right. So um, I think the clear meaning that has been taken from those passages through Christ, from Christians throughout the ages is the creation of Adam and Eve demonstrates that mankind is a special creation. That mankind is a special creation. What, we're gonna, what we see in the biblical narrative is that not only does God create man, but it says specifically he created man in his image which is incredibly significant. And he explains what that means. If you, if, you, if you don't have your Bible open to Genesis 1, that's okay. But uh, I'll just read for you. It says, so, uh, so he created in 27, it says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then it says in 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And, and before that, when he decides to make man in verse 26, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Remember weeks ago we talked about the Trinitarian implications of that, that, that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit there. We'll talk more on that in a minute. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and, and so on, over creation. So the the clear implication of being made in the image of God is that we're being charged with dominion over the earth around us, over the world around us. That's something that he does not give to any other creature on this planet. He gives that to mankind. You are endowed with his image and therefore have dominion and charge over the world around you. Um, The reason that I think this is really significant is because if you listen in the culture, and I'm going to tell you this, and you, at first you might go, I don't think I've ever heard that, and, but then once you start looking for it, you'll see it everywhere. There's an idea going out there in our current culture that says mankind is the scourge of the earth. All right? My, my, my kids love this, or used to watch it all the time, this, the cartoon Tarzan movie. Uh, Disney made it probably in the mid-90s or so. Phil Collins does the soundtrack. I, I watch it because the Phil Collins soundtrack. I like it. I'm a Phil Collins fan. I don't like to admit that to a lot of people, but you know, I like it. Uh, and so, <laughs> anyway, on the opening song of that movie, and I, I, I wasn't paying attention to. it, I was just listening to. I was listening to the tunes. I like the. I like the music. And but then I started paying attention to the words. And one of the first words in the song in that 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 opening song, um the The word is the words are a paradise, untouched by man. And that phrase hit me, and I thought, "Paradise untouched by man." He's describing this jungle of Africa where no man has ever been. And here, Tarzan, the little baby, is found by the the ape, and you know he kind of is raised by the apes. And and uh, and so, but the description of this place is paradise, untouched by man. What qualifies as it being paradise is no man has ever been there, right? The reason that it's so pure and so good and so naturally beautiful is because man has never touched it. And then if you watch the movie, the mankind that moves in uh, to the, the jungle, they pillage and plunder and shoot up and bring in all their trash and their rubbish and they clutter the place and they make everything terrible, and if that's not a picture of the mentality of the world we live in, I don't know what is and if you think about that for a second you'll turn on the radio, you'll turn on the news, you'll turn on whatever, and you'll start to hear these kinds of things, especially when the topic of, of like global warming or things like that come up and i'm not necessarily taking a side on that or even telling you to just saying that a lot of times when that topic is brought up the underlying implication there is man is the scourge of the earth and if you don't watch out mother nature is going to rise up and flood you and kill you all so you need to repent turn away from your sins and be in one with the universe right you come into harmony with the world around you because man everything that it touches it spoils and ruins that's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is mankind is made in my image and they're given dominion. Now, are we sinful? Yes. Do we pollute that image? Yes. Do we corrupt it? Yes. Do we sometimes go out into the earth and, de- and destroy it when we shouldn't? Yes, absolutely we do. I think most of us in here would say, if I said, do we put, throw our trash on the ground or do we put it in the receptacle? You would say... Throw it away in the receptacle, right? Don't throw it on the ground. That's pretty common sense, right? So we know that there are things that we can do better and we can take care of the earth better because we've been given dominion and stewardship over this planet. But at the same time, we don't view ourselves as a scourge of the earth. It's completely antithetical to what the world is teaching about mankind. You're not the scourge of the earth. You're created in the image of God. You have dominion over this place. So that means when you find petroleum in the ground, you can use it. You can make plastic out of it. <laughs> you, can, you can put gasoline in your cars, right? I mean, we, we have the ability to do this. Um, the other thing that I think is the, the clear implication of this is that, uh, or, or especially in, in, our, in our, our world now, um, your animals, your pets, are not your babies. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I hear this and it drives me nuts. Your animals are not your babies. Babies are babies. (laughs) Man, mankind, I mean, is different than animals. And slowly what's happened in our culture over time is you've seen or we've begun to see the denigration of, of mankind to the level of a common everyday animal. To the point where some, if there's a flood and you have a terminally ill child or patient... In a bedside and a perfectly healthy dog, for some in our world, there's a question as to which one you would save. But in God's worldview, there is no question as to which one you save. You save the terminally ill on their deathbed patient 100% of the time if you had to choose one. It's very clear uh, animals are not people, right? Yeah. Questions about that? Comments? All right. Go ahead. I had two people talking at the same time. I can't, sorry. What did you say, Timothy? Yes. That didn't end the way I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> the way you started that, I, was, I thought we were about to have a debate on that. But yes. Yes, absolutely. in in many in many instances, it's even it's even reversed. It's even gone the other way. You're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, uh, you bring up a good point on abortion. Th- that's the case, and then the other end of the spectrum, the aged, uh, the death with dignity, is starting to to be a thing, which which is interesting, and we can talk about this at length, uh, you know, long after this, but. Part of what's creating this debate of death with dignity in our culture, and I, what I mean by that is assisted suicide. They call it death with dignity. There's no dignity about it. It's assisted suicide is what it is. And, uh, and, and, and really, for all practical purposes, forcing a doctor to murder you is essentially the, the real thing that's going on there. And we could talk about this for a long time, but essentially this, this kind of worldview, when you remove God from the equation and man is no longer made in his image, well, the natural assumption then is since we're all just a bag of molecules to begin with, then what's the difference in a bag of molecules that walks upright on two feet and can talk versus a bag of molecules that walks on four feet and is covered in hair and can only bark? Not much, right? Happenstance, luck, fortune, or whatever you want to call it. But there's really no difference. And so when, it, when that happens, then it comes to your, your bedside. Now it's really an evaluation of, What's more financially better? What's, you know, and, and the real implication in Scripture is that we're not given dominion over other humans. We're given dominion over the, the rest of the created order. So when a dog is in misery, we can put it out of its misery because we have dominion over that dog. The reality is when it comes to human beings, God is, clearly has dominion over humans, God is the one that decides when that takes place. So that's another topic we can cover at another time. But I think it does touch on here. Yeah. Um, the next thing that is on our list here, creation was a Trinitarian effort. Creation was a Trinitarian effort. Uh, let's do a couple of verses here. John one three. We I think we did read that earlier, but somebody go ahead and read it again. Who will take that for me? John one three. All right, Vicky. Uh, 1 Corinthians eight six. Richard, David Maxwell, will you take Colossians 1.16 And who will take Hebrews one two? All right, uh, we'll go either one. I, I don't care. Go ahead, uh, okay. Shannon. John 1, John one three. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, that's right. And who is he talking about there? That's the word, right? We'd say Jesus. We know as Jesus, God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity. Alright, who's next? First Corinthians eight six. Yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom we all from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Alright. Colossians one sixteen. All right, Hebrews 1 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, and he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. All right, so all of those are dealing with the Son's role in creation, right? So what Paul makes abundantly clear is that all things were created through him and for him. They all hold together by him. Uh, John makes clear without him, nothing was made that has been made. Absolutely nothing. Not without the sun, right? But what about the Spirit's role in creation? Look at Genesis 1-2 uh, on your list there. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's the Spirit's appearance in creation. Uh, Psalm 140, verse 30 on your list there. It's the very next one. Uh, sorry, sorry, Job 33-4 is actually the next one. The Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Um, In Hebrew, spirit and breath often is the same word, uh, ruach. So uh, there's many times in here where the the word spirit and breath is kind of a, a sort of a play on the same word there. So he's saying the spirit of God has made me the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104 verse 30. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground so there's there's testimony, and, and admittedly it, there's there's um, not a ton of scripture on the spirit's role in creation, but we can see it pretty plainly that all things in creation were a Trinitarian effort, it was from the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that all things came into existence and um, I think that you know I have here on the next little blank here is is really, really important the fact that the Trinity is depicted as being involved in creation yet never being created, uh, reaffirms the church's clear historical teaching on God as three persons, one substance or essence. So the fact that in this picture of creation we have all three persons of the Trinity playing a role and yet we never hear Well, he created the Son, then he created the Spirit, and then now they all teamed up and they worked together on creation. Everything that has been made was made through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's, without a doubt, this is a clear historical teaching of the Trinity throughout um, uh, the the church's existence. We've always understood that to be um, a Trinitarian effort in creation. Questions on that? Because I can't answer too many. (laughs) <laughs> We've about exhausted my knowledge on the Trinity. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I think that's that's most of the scriptures right there. Uh <laughs> All right. The next thing on the list here, creation is distinct from God yet always dependent on God. Now, this is a, a kind of sort of really trying to get at his, both his transcendence, his, his distance, his being wholly other, to borrow a phrase, his being distant and holy and, and amazing and magnificent and worthy of worship, and then also his eminence, meaning he is, he is also involved in his creation. He's at a distance, and yet he's also very near at the same time. He is transcendent and he is eminent. is uh, creation is distinct from him, but yet, at the same time, creation is always dependent on him. And the reason that this is important to note is because this is totally the opposite of many pagan cults in our culture right at this very moment. Let's read some scriptures. Job 12.10. Who will take that? Richard. Uh, Acts 17.25 and 28. Who will take that? Jeannie. Maxwell. Blake. Will you take Colossians 1.17? Hebrews 1.3. Who will take that? All right, Shannon, uh, Ephesians four six. All right, David Maxwell. When you got Job twelve ten. In his hand is the life of every living creature and the breath of all mankind. Okay, so in his hand, so this is his imminence. He is very close. In his hand is every creature and the breath of all mankind. Uh, Acts seventeen twenty five and twenty eight. Is that twenty-five and oh. um, twenty-eight? that's okay, All right. Colossians one seventeen. And he is before all things, and then him all things hold together. Okay. Hebrews one three. Well, Ephesians 4.6 kind of sums it all up, really. is Here is God both transcendent, He is above all, yet He is also in all. He is imminent, He is close at hand. He is both at the same time. Now the reason that this is really unique is because there's three prevalent worldviews all around you at this very moment, or maybe not, hopefully not at this very moment, in this very day, um, that this is totally against. So the first one is materialism. So that first little blank you've got there is materialism, um, which is, you, you'll find this most commonly in in just really any atheist in America that believes in sort of the Darwinian picture of evolution um, that's most easily categorized as materialism. Essentially material, existed material is all there is. Matter is all there is. There is no God. So essentially uh, materialism at its core denies even the existence of God. Right? At its core it denies the existence of God. And we'll talk more about evolution tomorrow and and, and, um, and how we are to think about that as Christians. Um, but essentially At its very at its very base, it's built on a materialistic worldview that matter is all there is, and there is nothing beyond it. And so, everything that came into existence is by happenstance, essentially by 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 sheer chance. Um. So there there. So not only is is creation distinct from God, there there is no God, right? So it's just it's just that's what it is. Then the the next view is uh, pantheism, and you'll see pantheism p a n pan. uh, theism, T-H-E-I-S-M, pantheism, which basically means pan is, is everything, pan is everywhere, uh, all things, and theism is God. So God is um, everything that you can see or everything that you can't see. Uh, God uh, is God or uh, is part of God. So everything that you can see or you can't see either is God or is part of God. The material universe, the material world around you is all there is. The trees, they're God. The grass is, is God. Um, everything literally in existence around you is God. Now what that means is the, the um, materialism, the desire for riches and wealth and all the things that man created is evil. You need to distance yourself from that through meditation become one with the universe because by being one with the universe you become closer to God if you become ultimately one with the universe you become like God right Um, this is really the core fundamental kind of thought process of or worldview of many of the Native American religions along with a lot of the Buddhism and Eastern religions and things like that is pantheism but um, you will find this in a lot of uh, Maybe it's not a proper term, but a uh, hippie culture. <laughs> You'll find this a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the kind of the uh, this sounds really bad. I love trees, but tree hugging movement. You know, is kind of uh, built on that sort of essential worldview of, of pantheism. Though not all of them may be pantheists, but they, they, it's very close. Um, the last one there is deism. Which deism basically just states that God is transcendent. He's out here. He is uh, far away, whereas pantheism, real quick, is God is is imminent, but He's not distant. Uh, deism is the opposite. God is distant, but He is not imminent. God has basically is a watchmaker. God, He has set the thing into motion, and He has kind of set it off in the distance and just kind of let it fly. And He's standing back here. It's the old uh, uh, was the crock pot. Set it and forget it. Right. That's kind of what. Uh, deism depicts God as. He sort of set the whole thing in motion and then kind of pushed it away. And now he doesn't really care about the world that's around us. He just kind of lets it go. What you'll find is if you talk to someone who uh, ascribes to uh, you know, the theory of evolution heavily or they're pretty set on that, sometimes if, they'll tell, if they tell you, but I do kind of believe there's a higher power out there. That's typically what they're talking about. There's a lot of people that believe there is a higher power out there, but that eh, we're, it's not like the Christians tell you, it's not like the Catholics tell you, it's not like the Buddhists tell you or the you know, Mormons or whatever, or Islam. It's not like any of those. He's just kind of, he's out there, he did some of this, but then he's, he's off in the playing golf or whatever. That, that's, that's deism, all right? God is distant, he's not involved in his creation, doesn't really care about what go, what's going on. And some would even go as far as to say, we're probably going to be held accountable somehow because they have a problem reconciling all of that in their brain, I think, at one time. Um, yeah, any questions on those? Not an expert in Eastern religion, but the nuts and bolts. Okay. Um, last big section here is uh, the whole of creation is built to worship God. The whole of creation is built to worship God. Somebody take Isaiah 43, 7. All right, Vicki. Somebody take Psalm 19, 1 to 2. All right. Uh, Revelation 4, 11. All right, Lynn, Lefoy, you come back. All right. Isaiah 43, 7 when you have it. All right. Everyone created for his glory. Psalm 19:11. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his deed. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Mm. Revelation 4:11. So everything in the world that was created is built to worship its creator. That's its purpose. Even the inanimate things that we don't think have voices, that we don't think have personalities, right? All of them are declared as being created to bring him glory and worship. And even the psalmist identifies the heavens are declaring it uh, as if they had voices, they're singing back to God his, uh, what, the worship that he is worthy of. There's, there's this you know, application of a voice to a star or to the rest of creation. We as well are created for God. While we have to say, on one hand, everything is built to worship God, we have to also reiterate that he didn't need to do any of it. We talked about that several weeks ago, that God is independent. He is the only being in the universe that is independent. Everything else is completely dependent. God is set apart. So when we look at creation, all creation is singing his praises, but he didn't need that. He did it simply because he wanted to. Revelation 4.11 that Lynn read, there's one three little words in there, by your will. That's what we're told in scripture. He did it because he wanted to. That's why he did it, because he wanted to. Not because he needed anything. Paul reiterates that when he talks about the temple. He doesn't, work, he doesn't live in a temple made by hands as though he needed anything from us. That's not the God we're talking about. He is transcendent, yet he is also very imminent. The last item here on the agenda, the universe that God created was very good. The universe that God created was very good. Everything that he creates in Genesis, you see, and he said, it is good. 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 And then he creates man. And in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, he says, it "says God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So even though there is sin in the world, even though sin has entered the world, everything that exists in creation is still good in the sense that God created it. Even though it is tainted by sin, it's good and it's meant to be enjoyed by us. There's two scriptures that I want to read. They're both, they should both be on the back page of your scripture uh, handout there. I think, uh, I think they are. Yep, they are. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, um, because th- the question that I want to really kind of get down to before we, before we close here is, so what? Why does all that matter? Why do we need to think about those kinds of things? And I think this these two passages sort of get at the heart of why we as Christians should really care about this message of creation. This exact one. 1 Timothy 4, 1-5. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And then 1 Timothy six seventeen to 18, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. The attitude, constantly coming back time and time again in Scripture, the position, the heart position of the Christian is not just to enjoy food that God created Not just to enjoy it, but to return thanks to him for it. Literally everything in the world around you. We're talking about a God who creates, step back, out of nothing, he created everything that's in existence. So that means that he didn't have to give me barbecue sauce. But I'm glad he did. (laughs) So anytime I look around at the world around me, I should never run out of things to be thankful for. Literally, the ground I walk on, the fact that I just took a breath and I'm still alive at this very moment, should give me pause to return thanks to the one who gave it to me. This is the heartbeat of the Christian, is that everything returns us to worship. You're created to worship, and the Christian recognizes that that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're built for. The reason that all of this matters, that God created everything out of nothing, that he, that he's, that he made Adam from the dirt and, and gave him powers to, to exercise dominion over, over the earth, that that it was the whole trinity at work in creation, that God is distinct from his creation, yet the creation is also dependent on God for everything, that that everything is built to worship God, that the creation is very good. The reason that all of that matters is because it should tell the Christian you need to return worship to the one who's worthy of it. There's a temptation in our world, I get sucked into it, everybody does, to look at the things that we've been given and to worship them. To put priority on riches, to put priority on possessions, to put priority on jobs and money and um, family even, wives and kids. All of those things are defined in Scripture as good gifts. But what makes them good is when we return thanks to the one who gave them to you. Should never be a Christian's position to turn to these and worship them. Questions? Comments? Thoughts? You all agree? Wow. Unified. <laughs> Unified. <laughs> all right. Yes. Well, then let's pray. Most graciously, Heavenly Father, what do we have that you did not give to us? And as your scripture tells us, if indeed you did give it to us, why do we often boast as though it's not a gift? Lord, you have graciously given us all things not least of which salvation in addition to all of these good things that you've put around us in our lives in the material world you've also given to us in the spiritual world riches far beyond anything we could imagine that we get to sit down at your table, welcomed into your kingdom as a son or daughter, as your child. How mind boggling that is. Lord, allow this thought. all of the things that we've talked about tonight to weigh heavy on our hearts. That in all things, whether the food we taste, the jobs we work at, the legs we have to walk, the air we breathe, that all things would result in our heart turning in affection toward you in worship. feels insufficient to say thank you, but that's all we have. So, Lord, thank you for giving us all things. In Jesus' name, amen.